0: This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Mallott. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. We are about to get schooled by my guest today, Dr. Meredith Watson. She is a psychoneuroimmunology pharmacological therapist, which is a mouthful (laughs) and oversimplified, For people like me, simply means that Dr. Meredith shows people the interaction between psychological processes and the nervous and immune systems of our body and how they can heal the root of their pain. This is a fascinating field that I previously knew nothing about until I had the chance to visit with Dr. Meredith. She has such a beautiful and empathic soul and our connection was immediate and genuine. I hope you enjoy learning from her as much as I did.
1: Dr. Meredith Watson, I want to thank you so much for being willing to speak with me today.
2: I am so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this since we connected.
1: Oh, me too. And having spoken with you prior to our recording, I know this is going to be some amazing conversation. I am so excited. I'm really hyped. Me too. Me too. Who are three people alive or dead that if you are having a dinner party, you would love to have over? And why?
2: This is interesting. Usually people say somebody famous, but I would pick my great grandparents, um, both of them, and my great grandmother's baby sister, my Aunt Belle. And the reason I would pick them is because they are the epitome of strength and grace and understanding, and they had to go through so much as a pastor, as a nurse, both my great grandmother and her sister were nurses, just having to go through the depression, Mm -hmm. raising three successful children, Mm -hmm. having a very, very, very integral part of my life and their grandchildren's lives. And just kind of now that I'm older, knowing what they must have had to go through, because my great-grandfather is Indian, and he could easily have what people say, quote-unquote, pass, and looking at how many opportunities he had, he must have, wow. although he was very attractive, so he could have gotten on his looks. <laughs> but just and wondering, and my Aunt Belle went up north, and, they ever, and I've always heard that that was better for people of color, and just wondering, was it? You know, did she... Mm-hmm had seven beautiful children, her and her husband, and mm-hmm. having to raise that many children in this, in all of, and she could have passed also. So just kind of wondering what obstacles they faced, what mm-hmm. advantages did they use, and how did they get through it? And mm-hmm. they're my favorite people. I, even when I was younger, I spent hours and hours talking to them. But as an older, not that much older, but as an older adult, you know, really, and understanding how things play out, I would have loved to ask them, you know, how did you do it? How did you survive? How did you stay married for 60 years and mm, the same person yes. and, and still be so much in love? I just questions about life and raising kids, and, you know, they were yes. big professionals. Just had so many questions about things I never thought of until I was older.
1: I, first of all, love that you want to invite family, but it would also be cool to see. the the little things that you've picked up from them, that you're (laughs) living, that is part of them. That would be so awesome to witness, be a witness to. And um, what you're carrying on, what part of their legacy are you carrying on? That would be pretty incredible.
2: It really would. I think that's where I got the medical gene. I've always wanted to be a doctor. And I think it's because, you know, there's so many, you know, my, my cousin is a doctor and my aunt and my grandmother, my great-grandmother were nurses, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure there were doctors in there, and my, my great-great-grandmother my great was a doctor on both sides, so I know I have that medical gene. Okay, well, I cannot <clears throat> wait to hear this story, how
1: you became a doctor, um, but I want to hear about little baby Dr. Meredith Watson first. I want to <laughs> hear about how she became a doctor. What was it like growing up being you, and how did you make the choice to pursue um, your doctorate, and from our previous conversations, the multi diverse areas of study and occupations you've had. I can't wait to hear this story.
2: It was very isolating, to be honest, because growing up, I was the golden child. I was the one, the good girl. You know, I don't mm-hmm. do any wrong. I went into the ministry before I left high school. Like I was a youth minister at seventeen. Wow. And I pastored for 10 years. I was a pastor of different denominations. I've studied every religion. I have a master's in religion because I thought I wanted to pursue that full time and I wanted Mm -hmm. to do pastoral counseling. Everyone thought they knew who I was, but I don't think they ever asked me. I think they just went on assumption based on what they thought I was or why Mm -hmm. I did the thing. I love to read and I (laughs) felt that isolation. My siblings and I are so different. And even my parental units and I are so different. The way I was raised, everything is so different. That was my way to find a home. It, mm. I felt like I could be that person. So I, I taught for ten years. I w- went into social work. Um, I was a part of a certain county's um, first steps program, which I'd always wanted to be a part of. I've been on boards. You know, I'm a, a mediator. Now I'm a doctor and. What I am now is a psychoneuroimmunologist, pharmacological therapist. Basically, that is, I know that's a mouthful, it's really if you just cut it down to the bare minimum, the core, I help people understand their pain, their pain management, and heal it holistically. We could heal so much more without all the pills. You know, sorry, Big Pharma, but we don't need as many pills as we take. And I don't mean just the headaches. I'm talking about depression and addiction and codependency, which people don't realize is not just about drinking. You could be codependent on your job, on shopping, helping people get to the root of that. You'll answer the call to a migraine before you'll admit that you're still traumatized over finding your grandfather dead when you're eight Mm -hmm. years old, which is exactly what happened to me. And also, I want you to know that trauma doesn't have to be some lights and sirens. I was on the six o'clock news when I was 10. It could be something small, like a a cold mocking laugh, on being excluded. Mm -hmm. It could be something really small that in the moment you don't realize, which is Mm -hmm. how I got into the work I'm in. I had two heart attacks when I was well under 35, two within 16 months. And I was healthy. I was active. Mm. You know, there was no medical predisposition. I had healthy family members. I had great genetics, you know, the great genes. Mm-hmm. Nosiness, we have a lot of that. but We don't have a lot of <laughs> So it's not, it wasn't that at all. And that's how I got into this work because your body has to let you know in a way you'll understand. And I definitely woke up when I had two heart attacks in 16 yes. months
1: started to listen, didn't you?
2: I did. And I, the work and the way that I've been able to help people that that cough you've had for 10 years, think about if you express yourself. Do you really express yourself? Do you speak your voice? Maybe that all that you've been suppressing is what's really clogging your throat.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am 100% on board with you and you are welcome to psycho-neuro-immunologize <laughs> me at any point in this conversation. <laughs> you mentioned previously that you were raised by an adoptive mom mm-hmm. who was white. Yes. And that your uh, great-grandfather was Indian mm-hmm. and that you married a white man. You come from a very m- multi-diverse background.
2: I do. I really do because if every nationality you could probably find it in our family. My great-grandfather was Indian and could have passed without question. His wife, my beautiful great-grandmother was Indian. You know, I, I had ample access to my birth family and I knew them and I, you know, was with them every single day of my life. And then I had this incredible woman that I met when I was 14, right after two weeks to the day after my father died. And she adopted me into her heart and into her life and just was such an integral part of my life. And she's white, but she can sing like Roberta Flack. She has the most beautiful voice Mm -hmm. on the planet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So because I've had such a diverse group of people around me Mm -hmm. and the different backgrounds that they all have, I have such a beautiful pool to draw from and that's why so many different topics and so many different areas interest me I have a long line of educators and a long line of you know physicians and teachers and chemists and it wasn't we didn't let any of the systems keep us down I think that is so important and knowing that it's a choice about what you let be your class feeling I I And I have a daughter that I'm raising, so I have to be very careful Mm -hmm. about what I let her think is a blockage. Mm The only thing that blocks you in life is you, but it's so much easier to blame it on other people. Oh, of course. Who wants to own that? No, None of us do. (laughs) Nobody. And with all the things that have happened in the media and in the world, it's been very easy to blame someone else for our atrocities, when Mm. in reality... And I tell people this and having come from such a religious background and being a pastor for 10 years, everything is not so outside of you. Mm -hmm. If you think your next step and if you're responsible and take responsibility for your next steps and Mm -hmm. Will Smith says this in one of his many skits, he says that, and it's so true, what happened to you may not be your fault, but healing is your responsibility.
1: Ooh. That's deep. I love that.
2: It really is. And if we That's take so responsibility true. for it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, I may have stepped on your foot and I have to apologize, but it's up to you to, to accept that it happened. Understand my genuine apology and remorse, or you could hold it for fifteen hundred years, and all Mm -hmm. your children and past that generational trauma do not like people like Meredith because she steps on your toe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When in reality, my great great grandchildren know nothing about how I stepped on your toe in the grocery store that day by accident, and. I actually didn't even mean to I was just running around trying to pick up my kids from three different places Mm -hmm. if you just think that most the things that happen to most people they're acting from a place of their own emotions trauma pain yes whatever happened to them you know when I was teaching and we have standardized tests I would always ask the kids how did your morning go because it's hard to do well on a test if your parents just told you that morning they're getting divorced.
1: Oh, yes.
2: The bullies, and it's not right, it's not saying that it's right, but sometimes they're just trying to deflect their own pain. And when we mm-hmm. realize that a lot of people are, like the guy that cut you off, mm-hmm. he could be trying to get to the hospital because his mother is dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He could be late for work and needs that job to feed his kids. Yes. I'm not just... saying that people's, what they do is right. I'm just saying, think about how you don't know what people are going through. You just don't know. Therefore, be
1: kind because you never know what someone's going through. We don't know what's happening behind closed doors. We don't know what's led to certain actions and behaviors. As one of my other guests said, you can't control others, but you can control your reaction. And I think you're saying that exact same thing.
2: And you have to think, how would you want someone to feel? The, the year I lost my grandmother, I don't remember anything that happened that year. Not one thing. Not one Uh-oh. thing. And I I do remember someone asking me, how's your grandmother? And I was so overcome with grief, I left them standing there. And someone who was on look could have thought, oh, she's so rude, just to walk away. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't voice, I couldn't say it again. I couldn't say that she's gone again. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go through that again. Mm-hmm. And I did go back and apologize and explain another reason I got into this work is joy is a choice. Yes, even in is. the even in the things that hurt us or the things that bother us, there's a way to find to joy. It's just a, it's a, it's all about choices. Everything is about choices and thinking the next step about how it's going to what's that ripple effect going to Yes. Be?
1: Yes, that's very very well said did your parents your biological parents pass that idea or those um, general concepts down to you when or if they explained about racism to you at a young age or was that not a conversation you guys had i'm curious because you had such a unique childhood and 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 such a multi background that maybe that
2: conversation never
1: happened in your house
2: and in truth it did not it didn't we didn't have that conversation but what my grandmother focused on more and my great-grandparents focused on more is people wow how do you treat people it's really about the person and their story and their heart and about trusting yourself more than you trust other people Mm. and knowing what the other person's motives are and that may sound cynical But everyone does have a motive. It may not be a horrible motive, it may not be a a nasty or or dangerous motive, but we all have a motive of of everything that we do. And so be ready to look beneath the surface, which is basically skin color, because you know, you really can't tell if if you were to hear someone, you don't always I've been mistaken a lot of times for something I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I've just heard people and not known what i have a mental image of what they look like and then i see them in person i'm like i was so wrong because by f- most of the people i was raised around were you know three and four times older than me at I- any given time the way they processed interactions with people is different and so it was more about not the color of someone's skin but how that person treats you and to trust yourself. Like when you get that inkling in your soul that that person's not good for you, Mm -hmm. get out as fast as you can.
1: I find it interesting and a very mature way of expressing this to you and living it in front of you that they had every right to be resentful, Mm -hmm. angry, Mm -hmm. frustrated because they Were targets and victims Mm -hmm. of the violence and racist thoughts and system around them, but they chose not to. They chose the higher road. Mm -hmm. How lucky you are that that's what you grew up witnessing and not focusing on the negative, but being told to focus the other centered. It seems
2: very much so, and it was. It's just so important that. You look at a person, it's, it's like saying, don't judge a book by its cover. It's the truth because someone could be beautiful and have a terrible personality mm-hmm. or as people say, the continents of their soul. Mm-hmm. But that's just showing how intricate we are yes. as humans, as people and choosing to see what else don't I know and how can I embrace that versus the me versus you and yes. us versus them. Mm-hmm. Because and I don't know how many people know this, I'm a nerd. So I think about all kinds of things. You can't if someone were to die and years pass before the body is found, you don't know from the bones at at first glance what they were. Now if you could tell if it's a male or a female by the pelvis, mm-hmm. but it takes, a, it takes a lot of energy and time to find out if they were Caucasian, Hispanic, African-American, European, whatever.
1: Mm.
2: And it's usually the bone structure around your eyes and nose and mouth. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. But if we can't tell that at a pretty important part, when I find your body, then it just goes to show how little, and people's, my daughter is biracial and I've noticed she's nine now her pigment has changed over nine years those things are so interchangeable and if you Mm -hmm. get a certain condition your skin can change Mm -hmm. you know Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson is a perfect example of that Mm -hmm. but you know but it's who you are all that
1: being said were you surprised the first time racist actions or words were thrown your way when? You grew up with this beautiful mindset and mentality of how to treat others, or did you not even recognize it as such? I had somebody tell me that they didn't even
2: recognize it as a racist <laughs> action until years later. We, we must be parallel lives because that's exactly what happened. Really? man spat near my foot. And at first I thought, oh, that's disgusting. Why would he do that? It didn't dawn on me until much later that it was because he thought I was the kind of person to spit near or have oh. their shoes spat on. And
1: uh-huh.
2: and I thought, he doesn't know that I'm really the coolest person. And growing up, one of the things that people used to pick on me is I'm an Oreo, black on the outside, white on the inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he just knew I was an Oreo, he wouldn't spat <laughs> near my foot. If he knew that I don't have any rhythm uh-huh. Fried chicken is the last thing I'll eat. I, I don't like watermelon. <laughs> none of the stereotypes, you know. Yeah. I don't go to a holiness church, although I've been a couple of times. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, none of the stereotypes. He mm-hmm. wouldn't have spent him. At, at first, I thought, oh, that's disgusting, but maybe he just couldn't hold it in any longer. Maybe I, you I gave him the benefit of the doubt, sounds like. Generous assumptions. Ooh, and I, I like tried.
1: that phrase. Generous assumptions. Wow, that's that goes along with what you're saying. Is if we don't know where people are at, so if we just gave them generous assumptions, Mm -hmm. that would take us a long way instead of the instant resentment or bitterness.
2: It's it's important because we would want someone to have a generous assumption. Mm -hmm. And Brene Brown gave a wonderful example. Her in the story, she's like, you know, you it's chips in the bank. Mm-hmm. You know, this person may have forgot the anniversary of your mother's death, and that takes chips out of the bank, sure, like you should have remembered, mm-hmm. but maybe that person is struggling themselves. So if mm-hmm. you give them that generous assumption that they, if if their life wasn't having a moment, but you don't know if that person is also suffering. My best friend and I lost our grandmothers the same week. So how
1: can you support your best friend when you're exactly. grieving, right?
2: It was yes. so hard, but... I didn't go, Oh, you suck. I'm never speaking to you again. I'm like, you know, I'm in, I'm in the throes of it too. How can I support you? So we just texted a lot and we called Mm -hmm. each other. And I think we did, we did try to do flowers, but I couldn't be there Mm -hmm. for her in the way I would have loved to be. And she could not be there for me in the way Mm -hmm. she would have loved to be. And, you know, you just have to have that generous assumption. And it also gives you the opportunity to know who's going to show up for you also talking about what you think is acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at injustices, people are often not so kind. But if you think about what if it happened to you, what if it happened to your mom or your best friend? And and that's the way I call people out on racism. I ask them to look at the injustice and forget the person that it actually happened to and insert your loved one, Mm. insert your mom, insert yourself. That's wise. If you think it's okay for it to be for this person then it should be okay for it to happen to someone you love but then of course people get all defensive oh no it wouldn't be right well why was it right for it to happen to someone else mm-hmm. you know so much could be
1: thwarted if we just thought before we spoke
2: mm-hmm. and we put
1: ourselves in other people's shoes i mean how many horribly sad events conversations bad jokes would just not even take place that's so true such good wisdom.
2: I have these conversations more often because my husband is Caucasian and because I have to teach my daughter what's appropriate and what's not. And Mm -hmm. being growing up the way that I did, I didn't have the same conversations with her that a lot of Black parents or even biracial parents have with their kids. Mm -hmm. In part, I was scared. I didn't know what to say. And -hmm. then in another part, she has so many different backgrounds i have to tell her about the west indian and we have to tell her about our tribal backgrounds and the african american and the, this and the white and the european and the german mm-hmm. i have a lot to bring to the table and mm-hmm. so she actually brought it up you know she's like mommy what's this thing about racism you know my friends were talking about it and um someone made a point about being black as midnight which was like really that's a really old slur I've Mm -hmm. I've heard that before someone as black as midnight and so I was like well honey there are people who really decide if you're a good person based on the color of your skin Mm -hmm. and wherein that is not right and that is not what we do in this house you have to think and I do teach her that it's about who the person is at the soul level Mm -hmm. because that's what's going to last good for
1: her and That's awesome that you're teaching her this at such a young age and teaching her to see it differently. I really love that. All of us, all parents should be doing this. Shouldn't we?
2: It's, it's important. There are times when, and where my husband goes with her to worship is, and sometimes I go too. We've, we did try to find a congregation that had children that look like her. And we read books where people look like her and she has dolls. of of dolls that look like her and ones that look like her grandmother, her genetic grandmother and her adoptive grandmother, her biological father and me and her biological mother. And what is funny enough that when she was born, she was, very 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 pale and I was like oh lord you know people aren't going to believe she's mine and as soon Uh as I went to the pharmacy because I needed to get some medicine and the guy really gave me a hard time he's like that can't possibly be your baby I'm like well something came out of my body three weeks ago and I think this is what it was
1: Um, why would somebody think they could speak to that that's just nobody's business
2: that's shocking to me and when she's with my adoptive mom who's Beautiful and white by gen- genetics, but she has the most beautiful tan. People don't even think anything about it. They're just like, "Oh, your granddaughter's so beautiful." And I've actually <laughs> had people. And mom, if you're listening, I know you're dying laughing. But she, my mom, is the woman that I consider my mother. She was. We had a picture, and it was a, a black and white photo because we did that. It's called septica, which I didn't know that. Uh-huh. So I had the photographers tell me. But people like, "Oh, your mom could pass for white." I'm like because she is (laughs) and it goes to show that people just assume
1: yes oh we do don't we
2: and they don't think anything and i had one woman and you could tell she's way back and this was another opportunity to enlighten other people i went Mm -hmm. to my mom's house she lives in a very prominent affluent neighborhood and I drove over there in my SUV, you know, not paying any attention. And they have a gate, like you, it's a gated community. Mm-hmm. So the, the guy knew me, I went in and all, and her neighbor who had heard about, who heard about me, but we never met, even though my mom's lived there forever. And so I got out of the car and I went in, I'm like, you know, helping my mom. And I'm like, she's not, uh, you know how you just want to help the people you love. So I was yeah. helping my mom get herself together. And so the woman calls my mom over and she's like, oh, how much do you pay your girl to come? your girl and my mom's like who where <laughs> and the woman was like that girl she looks she's so nice and she seems like she does everything you ask her to and my mom's like that's my daughter what is wrong with you mm, mm, she goes oh I didn't know and my mom's like well that's why you should have asked And she, my mom was more offended than I was I'm like this woman's from a totally different time mm-hmm. I laughed and my mom, you, seem, Do you know She's a doctor, and I'm like, Mom, shh, she's gonna want free help. Shh. Uh-huh. You seem
1: so understanding. That that is the word that just keeps popping up in my mind. Your understanding, that whole generous assumption thing, you seem to genuinely believe and live that, and that's why you can respond with such kindness or just, ah, it's okay, it's all good. You seem to be that type of person to me.
2: I tried to be because I don't, I think her embarrassment was grievance enough. She mm. was so embarrassed. It it. I mean, she turned like a shade of pink I'd never seen. <laughs> and she goes, oh, honey, I'm so so And I think it's even more, she can't whisper. So I heard the whole conversation and I said, you know, ma'am, it's fine. I'm like, how much do you pay people to clean it? I may not clean it myself, but I know people who could help yeah. you out. Yeah. And I was thinking more, if she's asking for help, she needs it. Yeah, that's amazing. I don't clean my own toilet, so you don't want me to help anybody clean. That's (laughs) just, that is not my bailiwick at all. Well,
1: that's also telling that she did not justify herself to you. She actually apologized, which shows the ignorance it was coming from a place of not knowing and just asking the wrong question or saying the wrong thing. The fact that she actually humbled herself to you and then you responded with such graciousness What an excellent teaching moment and
2: learning moment, huh? I think so. I know there are areas where I'm not proficient. I mean, there are things I should know. Like (laughs) this is given the topic, and this is, and I don't mean this in a terrible way, but I really didn't know the Black Lives Matter. I did not know they were an organized group. I thought they were a hashtag. I felt terrible. When I found out, and I'm like, my black card really needs to be taken because <laughs> I did not know, and it's because it just isn't something that was in my my sphere yeah. you know my friends and I of all different colors we're very professional and we have when we get together we're talking about our patients and our and mm-hmm. our professions and our children, and it just doesn't it doesn't come up, and I felt so bad they're like oh they're they're Con, you know, congregating to do this thing. And I'm like, oh, they've become a group. They're like, Meredith, they're always been a group. They're a whole organized group. I'm like, oh, it's more than a hat. And I I said it and out of pure ignorance. Uh-huh. I just didn't know. And it was embarrassing, but it was also enlightening. So I'm like, well, that's another group I need to go research. Mm-hmm. And And my views about what they do and how they operate is completely separate, but it's like you don't know until you don't know, which is one of the things that drives me crazy. I hear a lot of people, because I work from home and I homeschool my daughter. I'm an introvert. My social group is very small. So Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of the things that other people see. And I ask my friends that look like me, what kind of injustices that they've had to encounter Mm -hmm. And they've encountered far more than I have, but they enlightened me that it's because for most of my career, I've worked for myself. Wow. And what's even more rare is the times I did have a boss, she looked like me. So I was under the leadership of African-American Indian women, which I know is very rare. Yes. So my experience has been different. You know, I went to a predominantly white college college. All women's College in South Carolina, and I had friends and I had professors you know the the department chair of our leadership department was an African American woman who could smart the pants off anybody and I had african American you know professors. so I saw women in these leadership positions le- women, women that looked like me, women that were you know marginalized and So my first encounter with a negative white person, which was a cop, scared me to death. I want to touch on that. But first, I want to say how empowering
1: for you that that is what shaped you. Mm -hmm. How lucky and empowering. No wonder you didn't have the same experiences as some of your other friends who look like you because all your experiences were all with. Powerful women or women in a a position of authority and power (laughs) that pass that empowerment down to you. And so another perfect example of we cannot stereotype people because everybody in any race or ethnicity is going to have completely different experiences. And I love that you gave that example. And that makes me so happy for you. And I love that you're doing the same for your daughter. But I, sorry to interrupt you, but definitely speak to me about your, your inter- interaction with um, a white police officer.
2: It was, I do, like I said, I don't go out very often. So I went out to get my daughter a toy. Mm-hmm. And I could have ordered it online and I wished to go out ahead. But I was going to the store to get her a reward for her good grades. And I was driving 40 and a 45. It wasn't even speeding. Mm -hmm. I was was slowing (laughs) I wasn't at all and so I truly believe that he thought that my tags and my insurance had lapsed which if you know me I would never let that happen but I did forget to change the the little year tag thing on your license tag so it was the year before but I paid everything up to date so I really think he thought he was going to get me for that Mm -hmm. so he put his lights on which made me nervous and I couldn't get over right away and he started yelling in that microphone thing they have from the car. Pull Uh over. I'm like, for God's sake, it's not a high speed chase. Chill out. Mm -hmm. So my grandmother had always told me, don't stop for any cop in a dark area or where other people aren't there. So I was trying to get to a place where other people was. He wouldn't Mm -hmm. let me get that far. Mm -hmm. So he pulled me over and he got out. I am beside myself. My husband was not with me, which Mm -hmm. I do think is a protection and a privilege because he's white. And I know that that gives me some leeway that I may not already have I'm completely aware of that mm-hmm. and my daughter was in the car and I, my daughter is easily unnerved like her mother so he comes to the car and he's like license and registration and I've got my hands up I did do I mean I didn't want him to think I was reaching for anything mm-hmm. and in the moment of being nervous I couldn't think about where anything was to begin with mm mm-hmm. So I finally get my license and registration out, and I said, "I'm so sorry, officer." I, he goes, "You were going 40 and a 45," which in my head I'm thinking, "There are people speeding, and you're stopping me for that. Are you kidding <laughs> me right now?" So he goes through his little spiel, and I give him my license and registration. He goes and checks it. He's like, "Oh, your your tags are up to date. he just you just need to change." And I said, "I'm so sorry. I did not mean to cause any problems. I just wanted uh-huh. to be respectful because, however I feel about the law." they are in some sort of authority and they deserve that. So he's like, he yelled at me and he's like, no. well, you did cause problems. And I, first of all, anyone who knows me yelling at me, is not the way to get me to move. I cannot handle being yelled at. Mm-hmm. I just can't, I will freeze and there's no need. I wasn't even being disrespectful. Yep. And so he yelled and I freaked out and you know, it didn't end badly. He got back in his car and moved on and I moved on. And so when I went to court, Let's say if there were 100 people there, 65 of them were from his citations. And 50 of those people were people of color. And the people I was sitting around, one was an attorney, of course, me being a doctor. There was a teacher sitting to my right. There were some engineers. We were all fairly well-educated. Not that I was taking a poll. just happened to be the people I was sitting around. And he'd made the pregnant teacher who was sitting to my right get down on her stomach. And she was pregnant no she's like there was no need for that and I'm like no there wasn't and even the judge thank god for this particular judge she of course you know expunged my ticket and she goes it I would not had a traffic citation in over a decade she was Mm -hmm. shocked she's like you don't even have any traffic violations I'm like no ma'am because I rarely leave my house Mm -hmm. and I'm a good driver I was just she goes and you got a ticket for going 40 in a 45 and she was even appalled at the Mm. stupidity of the ticket Mm-hmm. But most of the people there were his people from his citations. And then, of course, the ratio of, of people of color and mm-hmm. marginalized and all these. And I thought people exact their anger in very different ways. So and I'd had another event at, at, with a, an officer w- who came to my home under false pretenses, broke my door. I am very careful about who I trust in the criminal justice system. And I know that all cops aren't bad, just like all teachers aren't bad. Mm-hmm. All doctors aren't pill pushing people, mm-hmm. but you have to be careful. Mm. And that's what I was saying earlier about, you know, being associated with a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. You have to stand out and you have mm-hmm. to be the person who's like, I'm not like the bad apples, but that takes, yeah. It takes a person being open and receptive because a lot of people just want to label you and go, and they don't want to even consider that you might be different. And when people say, I don't see color, I believe they believe that until Mm -hmm. they don't.
1: You're 100% right. People don't necessarily know what certain things they say mean, or Mm -hmm. they think it has a different connotation than it does. But you don't know how something's going to be received, right?
2: And th- there goes back to the generous assumptions. If you'd said that to me, Meredith, I don't see color, I'd believe you. And I wouldn't be offended because I truly believe you believe that.
1: You mentioned something in passing that was hilarious about your black card needing to be revoked. Um, <laughs> yes. But speaking of that, have you ever been accused of actually playing the race card
2: I love from either white or black people? I get that all the time. And, especially people who you know ask me about a black situation that I'm not aware of I'm like you know what I didn't get the newsletter this week (laughs) I don't know what's happening I don't know I have to look and find out but I have had the experience where I don't use a black card but I've been told when I should have when it may have been applied to me Mm. and if things didn't go my way how I should use it when it did go my way how it could have been applied which is offensive because Mm -hmm. that completely negates my intellect. I'm, I'm a horrible Mm -hmm. speller, I'll admit it, but I'm very, very bright. To negate that I could have gotten it on my own merit is completely offensive to me. Yes. And like, oh, you play, I've never played the race card in my life, but I've known, and when I was, when I went to a predominantly white college, women's college in South Carolina, someone of color asked me, how did you get in? She went there too. It was her alma mater, also, and I'm like the same way you got in on my merit. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, it had nothing to do with my race. The race car is a is a trigger for me. Having a white husband and having my the woman I consider my mother being that way, you know, even that has its own interesting ways. And my mom has never said anything really racist, and we talk a lot of, and we could talk, and I like that because we can have conversations, honest conversations. Mm -hmm. She can say things to me without worrying about, you know, being politically incorrect. There has to be a place where you can go and be understood and be respected. The one, mm-hmm. the one hiccup I've run into is, especially with everything happening this year and, and all the diversity and all the injustice, people of color are saying that they won't answer questions from Caucasian people. Well, that's not fair. How would anybody know if you don't tell them? It's not like any Mm -hmm. of us were around when most Mm -hmm. of this started to say that, well, I'm not going to answer your questions. You should go look for it. That's like a husband and wife saying, I'm not going to speak to you. You should know what you did to me and Mm -hmm. fix it. We can't Mm -hmm. read each other's minds.
1: How are we going to build bridges with each other, to each other, and find commonalities if we're not open For that possibility of sticking your foot in your mouth or that possibility of being offended or, you know, there's all these risks involved in this communication, aren't there? And that's
2: one of the ways we're going to fix it if we don't open ourselves up to communication and you're so afraid. Mm -hmm. Now, don't be rude and unobnoxious, but Mm -hmm. there are ways to ask a question. Mm -hmm. Like, I have questions about things that Caucasian people do that completely blows my mind. Like, why would one wear shorts and a sweatshirt? (laughs) <laughs> you know, but we felt good about talking to each other mm-hmm. and having that rapport because it's so important. And if you don't, you can't, bri- you can't build a bridge with an arsonist. You it's, can't. Every time I try to put a brick down to build a bridge and you burn it and you say, I will not work with you and I mm-hmm. will not because of something somebody else did. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's that
1: comfort in relationship too. In all honesty, I do have to say that all of the African American have been so gracious to me and so understanding and like forgiving of my my stupid questions or um patient with my slow understanding. That the graciousness shown to me only makes me want to reciprocate it that much more, you know, or be that conduit for somebody else um, or encourage others to do the same. Since I've had such a positive experience questioning so many random people I never knew that now I have a relationship with, how lucky am I? And I've grown.
2: I've learned from everybody. And it's important to have that, to be open to learning. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to know. And is it just with race? It's with a religion. It's with politics. It's mm-hmm. with sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it's with so many things. And it's it's from a place of, of not wanting to know. And uh, when people ask me, what is a deal breaker? My deal breaker is, if you have a closed mind, we're not going to get along. Because I didn't ask you to adopt how I feel. Far be it but are you at least open to have the conversation? And if not, maybe you should ask yourself why. I just wonder, mm. are you afraid it might, you know, put a crack in the foundation of what you believe? So what? Use that crack as an opening to let the light in, for goodness sake. Oh, I'm going to quote you on that. That is beautiful.
1: That's be- Good, I love that. You. Love that. That is awesome.
2: I think it's important, especially having taught with so many different students. I mean, I've had every kind of student in my class. I had you know, students who I could tell their parents were already starting to be on the point with understanding that there's differences in the world and that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. And I could also see the parents who were continuing with the hate because mm-hmm. hate is, you, you can get mad Stop. all you want to people, but hate is not anything you're born with. Mm-hmm. You have to be taught that hate very much about taking control and being responsible for our actions and that ripple effect What's yours is yours, and no one can take it. Personally, all the injustices that I've experienced have been from people who look like me. It's rough because you're, these are the people that, you know, the people you worship with, the people you have a genetic connection with, the people that look like you. These are the people you're supposed to be able to rally around and have rally around you and build you up and lift you up and stand on each other's shoulders and all these other platitudes. Mm-hmm. Those are the places I'm sorry. that i I am, too, because you would think those would be the last places. You would. And it just goes to show you have to decide how you're going to treat people. I have to teach my daughter this, who's the light of my life. And my mom taught me this, too. When you look out at the sea of your life, all the events, all the things, who's been there? Mm -hmm. My mom was often the only white person at my events and didn't care wouldn't Mm -hmm. care at all. When I had my first homily, she was on the front row and happened to be all my friends were white at the time. They took up the first couple of rows at my church. This was Uh a predominantly black church. Uh Did my mom care? No, she got up and clapped off beat like she knew what she was doing. (laughs) She didn't care. What a mom. (laughs) She's fantastic. And taking that leap, being the person who is a true ally, not an ally when it's convenient or when it looks good, back to motives, you know, everybody has a motive and it's, it's okay if you're just honest about it. I'm doing this so I look good. I'm doing this so it looks like I'm inclusive. When I look at my life and I look at the sea of who's always been there, it's the same people but they don't always look like me. And when I look at the people who've hurt my feelings, which I'm not that easily hurt my feelings, but when they are hurt, they are usually people who look like me. Yeah. So just be careful. Racism is terrible, but there's other ways to disenfranchise a person or make them feel excluded and look back at who you chose to be friends with. And what is intriguing to you? Like, what are your qualities that and you'll realize that it doesn't matter what that person's color is. They could still have those qualities. Like I am just your biggest fan now. And I just met you a couple of days ago. And, <laughs> but I didn't think, Oh, I'm going to be, I need two more white friends to meet my quota.
1: Yeah. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. you could have to be purple
2: you. and our, it's, it's our connection. Mm-hmm. You know, this that's what matters. Just, I don't even know why the skin color
1: Ever became a thing. It's such a minute part of who people are. Such a odd classification of people. I find personally, there's so many other ways to classify humans. People who are annoying or people who are not annoying. There you go. Let's go with that one. I have that would be the category I would like to shove everybody into. I also really I love how you explained your mom's allyship. I respect and admire that so greatly because i think love has to cost something and if it doesn't i don't know that it's truly love it has sacrifice costs and and love comes out of sacrifice and your mom is a beautiful example of that how lucky you are
2: i am she she is a firecracker
1: Um, well i want to get to one final question in my main grouping of questions before we get to our closing questions, because you've been so gracious to give me so much of your time. Um, but I'm really curious as to your opinion on um, Ibram Kendi's book. He has this fantastic quote where he says that racism is not caused by hate and ignorance, but by self-interest. And I'm very curious what people think about this. I've talked to people who completely agree with it. I've talked to people who have a great argument against it. And I would love to hear your perspective. I think it's
2: all three because the first two are taught, you know, ignorance and hate. You don't come into this world saying, I hate people who look like this. Mm -hmm. I hate women or I hate homosexuals or I hate Mm -hmm. these types of people. It's taught. Hate and ignorance is taught. But I would like the people who are racist or people who are like that. I don't want them to see me because that would turn them off automatically. But if they could just hear me, because I know I don't sound black, whatever that means. Just to ask them why they don't like those people, I think it goes, then it goes to the self-interest part. They're worried that something that this person has is going to be taken away from them. Mm -hmm. And they think that this person jeopardizes something. But we all have self-interest. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to eat, you have to breathe, you have to have clothes and a shelter and a car. I mean, you may not need a car, but you need transportation. Mm-hmm. We all have self-interest. That's why it's, it's always so mind-boggling to me when people get upset when someone chooses their own needs ahead of someone else. Mm-hmm. It's self-preservation. It's an innate, it's something we learned from cave days, you know, running from lions and having to eat. Mm-hmm. We should preserve our self-interest. But that's an aid. That's not something that's taught. That's, in, in, that's survival, survival of the fittest, you know, the hierarchy of needs. You need food, you need shelter, you need companionship. Mm-hmm. I think the hate and the ignorance is taught. And just like it could be taught, it can be unlearned if you're willing to do so. And it's, it's usually generational. Like, it's almost, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the study where the rat's were put in a container and you watched them generationally and some things were inherited. They had no recollection of them in their present day, but it was Mm -hmm. several generations, generations of rats, generations backwards that it was, it was inherited. Wow. But you can, you can work on that. Just like you can work on if you have a predisposition for diabetes or heart disease, you can take steps Mm -hmm. to work around that. Everyone has self-interest, even if they don't want to admit it. It goes back to the motive. We all have a motive for why we do the things we do, even giving Mm -hmm. blood. You know, I'm sure you told someone you gave blood. So you look good. You look like a humanitarian. Mm -hmm. And when you do good things, 99% of the time you told somebody. It's really, it's still about that core, what we're taught and what we choose to unlearn. It's questioning. And I don't, I challenge everyone listening and tell a friend, think of a belief you've always had. And think about, is it yours, or is it just mm-hmm. something you adopted? And it's especially true with yeah. hate, ignorance, religion, politics. Do mm-hmm. you truly innately, innately believe that, or is it just something that's been conveniently adopted? Yeah. But it is scary to get to that point, because then you're
1: treading on thin ice, and you what if the foundation crumbles? All these things I thought that were true suddenly are not. There's a lot of fear in that. So I think that's why so many people just, Keep going with blinders and like, I'm, I'm not ready to deal with this because the fear of the unknown is so great.
2: And the story they're attached to. I yes. have patients who won't, who won't go through the process to heal because they've built this whole story around being sick whether it's attention, Mm
0: -hmm. or now
2: I don't have to work as hard, or Mm -hmm. now I am, you know, we we all build up stories. And it's even with your relationships, you're mad at someone because you've built this story about why they didn't call you. Mm -hmm. You have to try to think of the whole picture. But if we think of the whole picture, oh my goodness, we might have to disintegrate everything we've ever believed and choose. We have to analyze. And some people just they won't do it. True. Such
1: good advice. What is your tip for making the world a better place?
2: I'll give it to you in three quick steps. Okay. Um, The first thing I would advise is to think the next step. How is this going to have a ripple effect? And can you really honestly say you want to be a part of that or you don't? Mm Mm-hmm. And put yourself in other people's shoes before you quote-unquote judge them. You don't know what someone's going through. And even if you know, you still don't know. Yeah. You may have also lost your father, but you didn't have the relationship with your father I did. So mm-hmm. it's still still very different. And keep in the fore, and this is probably more than the other two, keep at the fore that what people are responding, how people are responding, the actions they're taking, the words that they're saying – Probably, I would dare to say, certainly has nothing to do with you. It's about their story,
0: their mm. trauma,
2: their drama, what they're dealing with, you know. And they may project it onto you, and that is not fair. I know, but you have no idea. Maybe they felt that to deposit it onto you was safe.
1: I'm mm. not saying you
2: have to keep it. Kind of like your rubber, your glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Mm-hmm. Give it back to them, but also try to hold space. Mm. for what they may be going through.
1: That's heavy. And I appreciate you speaking that truth. I can apply that to many relationships in my life. And I thank you for teaching us that. What are you the most thankful for right now?
2: My faith, for sure. Mm -hmm. My children. And most importantly, my ability to leave a situation that no longer serves me, to know that it's not serving me and I just need to leave and bow out gracefully, even if it means leaving a relationship, a job, a town. It's for my highest good. So just having the ability to do that and not being so stuck that I'll stay in a situation that doesn't serve me. That's fantastic that
1: you know yourself that well. And that you're thankful for it. (laughs) That's a process, right? Totally. And finally, what is your favorite quote?
2: live a life you love and love the life you live and treat people the way you want to be treated. Is that your
1: quote or is that by somebody we know or don't know?
2: It's a mixture of a quote from someone else that I twisted to make it my own. Kind of okay, put my own
1: fantastic. Uh, well, thank you to Pastor Meredith and Dr. <laughs> Meredith who both showed up today. <laughs> I'm so thankful and lucky that you spoke spoken to my life and that I got to learn from you today. And I'm so excited that I got to share this with all of our listeners. Thank you Me so too. much
2: for your time. Have a wonderful day, everyone.
0: I really love how Dr. Meredith spoke to our motives, especially when it comes to being an ally. We must question ourselves as to why we want to be this, so that we look good, are seen, for our own ego. We can't say we're an ally and only do it when it's convenient. I'm speaking to myself here too. I often feel like giving up, thinking my effort isn't enough, but it's not about me, it's about us and what is best for the common good. If my voice, actions, money, or other contributions help better someone else's life, and ease the burden they are carrying even for the smallest bit of time, then it's worth it. Helen Keller is credited with saying, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. I think that is apropos for this cause. We've heard other guests refer to the ripple effect before and each time I hear it, it sinks in deeper and deeper. I needed this reminder yet again that people's responses have nothing to do with me and say more about them and what they're going through. I can choose to either take things personally or hold space for what people may be struggling with right now. This was a timely and necessary reminder for me this week. Lastly, Dr. Meredith's encouragement about being open to learning really excited me. I've met so many people afraid to question, afraid to go beyond their comfort zones. Heck, for years I was one of those people. Her insight that some people don't want to know because they're afraid of what they'll learn, or that listening to another point of view might put a crack in the foundation of what they believe was spot on. What apt advice she gave us. Use the crack in your foundation to let the light in. Fear keeps us bound up and locked in to only what we know or are familiar with. Learning and expanding our views sets us and those around us free to become the best version of ourselves. Dr. Meredith is offering a discount for her therapy services to anyone who mentions that they heard her on the Gramercy podcast. Please check out the show notes for more information and a link to her website. Thank you, Dr. Meredith, for the reminder and the encouragement that we do not have to live attached to fear and to the story we tell ourselves. We can choose to grow, unlearn old habits and heal from within. Thank you also for leading by example with your generous assumptions. May we all learn to be as generous with grace as Meredith has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, There is no them, just us. See you down the road.